Do you, do you all believe that we are serving uh, a faithful God? Right? Do you believe that we are serving a God who has redeemed us and offered us salvation? Folks, we should come in here joyous and excited to be in the presence of the Lord. So I am. Hopefully that will rub off on you all. Uh, I'm excited to be here and really honored. So why don't you all have a seat? So let me give you a disclaimer first. We are going to walk through Proverbs and pride. I am not preaching to you directly. I am not convicting you. Those types of things. I say that for this reason. As I was reading through the Proverbs over the last couple months in the pride piece, I just felt like the Lord was really just convicting me of a lot of things. So often with these types of sermons, people come up afterwards and they go, Bill, you were preaching right to me. You were talking to me directly. And I go, no, 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 no. Just bringing you God's word, the Holy Spirit does that. I don't want to be up here as a convicting person. That's not my job. My job is to prepare, take God's word, handle it to the best of my ability, and present it to you all. Uh, Pride is an interesting thing. Pride is a word that uh, creates a lot of thoughts in our heads. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to take one minute, little interaction here. I'd like you to turn to the person beside you or behind you, whatever, somebody you know, and tell them what the word pride brings to your mind first. Take a minute to do that. Okay, so first of all, first of all, so actually I should do this. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Bill Brown. I'm the counseling pastor here. I say that because I am surprised more and more every Sunday how I see people walk into this church that I have no idea who they are, and it's just wonderful you're here. Really, really wonderful you're here. So, okay, so pride. Uh, if, I'm just going to tell you, you made a mistake, if you turned to the person and went, when I think of pride, I think of you. That might mean this is the right sermon for you. I feel like I'm getting ready to do a Jeff Foxworthy thing. You might be prideful. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? So if you turn to the person, or if you thought of somebody else in your life that might be struggling with pride, maybe you might have a little bit of a pride issue. So if you don't think you have a pride issue, let me build a couple little scenarios for you. Anybody drive on the beltway? You have a pride issue. Because you've cut me off, you've, you've passed me on the right side, I'm not going fast enough for you, you've got a pride issue. Uh, anybody married? Conflict? You might have a pride issue, right? Many, many things stand out about pride. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I was going to tell this story of a little boy, but I might as well just be honest. It was me. So when I was a kid, my parents, and I might have told this story before, but it really fits perfectly with pride. Uh, because if you wonder if your kids are dealing with pride, if you wonder if they're sinful people, if you're not sure the Bible's accurate, this story pretty much depicts that kids are prideful, we don't listen, and uh, so forth. So my father and my mom took me to a battlefield, and I want to say I think it was Antietam. For most of you who know, uh, my dad was a military historian, so we used to tour battlefields, stuff like that all the time. We lived a great life. Fun for us was getting gunpowder out and blowing things up. That's truth. Um, We had a cannon on our front yard. It was awesome, okay? But they took us, they they took me to Antietam, and somehow towards the end, I decided to sit on this cannon. And mom and dad were like, okay, William, time to go get in the car. And I sat there like this, not going to get in the car. 
And my mom was like, come on, you got to get in the car. So they get in the car, and my mom proceeds to go, what are we going to do? And he goes, I don't know. But he won't get off the cannon. He said, you know what? We'll show him. So they went, okay, if you don't get in the car, we're pulling away. I don't know. I was five or six. I don't, I don't remember. So as they started to pull away, my mom was crying. I can't believe we're going to leave him at Antietam, blah, blah, blah. My dad goes, we're not going to leave him. Don't worry, he's going to come. I didn't get off that cannon. My father turned to my mom and went, we got ourselves a rough one. <laughs> and if any of you know me, they had a rough one. Praise the Lord, saved by grace. Uh, I'm not that rough anymore. But I definitely still struggle with pride at times, as most of us do. Um, I think we've gone through a, this series of Proverbs. It's been amazing. We've learned about parenting. We've learned about wisdom. But pride is something that as a church, uh, it's not a knock on Frank or any of us, we probably don't talk about it enough. It's a struggle that I personally would tell you, I think it's the beginning of all of our sin, for all intents and purposes. I mean, we see in Genesis at the beginning, what is the issue with Satan? It's pride. What's the issue with Adam and Eve? It becomes pride. They saw themselves as, well, you know, maybe God didn't say that. Maybe, you know what, he, may, he said we shouldn't do that, but we're going to do it anyway. What ends up happening, folks, at times, we elevate ourselves to a point that we start to begin to think, and I know you wouldn't think this of yourselves, but that we're God. We tend to think of ourselves, well, you know, God says I should do that, but I'm going to do this. I think this is a better idea for me. So pride has been an issue of the church since the very beginning. Sam, why don't you pull up that slide for me from C.S. Lewis? And let me read this to you. So this is what C.S. Lewis said in his book, Mere Christianity. According to Christian leaders, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that are a mere flea bite. Love that. A mere flea bite in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been our chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. From Luther to Calvin to many other people, a heck of a lot smarter than me, pride is really one of our major issues. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at pride. But more importantly, not just looking at the problem, we're going to leave here knowing what the solution is. So many people come to get answers, and we tend to just kind of, well, you have a problem. You need to love people more. You need to do this. You need to do that. At the end of the day, folks, it is Jesus Christ. That is our solution. And we're going to talk about He gave us the perfect image of what humility looks like. So, But before we do that, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for every person in this room. Because I know there are people that are coming here with hurt, pains. There's probably things going on in your life that seem very overwhelming. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I don't want to make those simple at all. Those are real things going on in your life. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. That the words that come out of my mouth are God's words. That they're not Bill Brown's thoughts. If they are, you're in for probably a pretty ridiculous sermon. But 
I believe wholeheartedly we're going to look at God's Word and we're going to look at what God tells us to do about pride and who we can turn to with that issue. So let's pray real quick and we'll, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. I think some of us are probably happy, Lord, it's not raining at the moment. Um, but Father, we love you so much, Lord. We thank you for this time. Father, we thank you that at this point in time in our lives, right now, this very minute, Lord, you are here. Your presence is here. The Holy Spirit is working inside of us. Lord, thank you, Father. Father, those words of that last song said, when I am weak, Father, I believe that you are strong. I believe that even though I might not feel your presence in my life, that it does not mean that you're not guiding things, Lord. Father, you make our paths straight. Father, you love us beyond what we can even comprehend, Father. Father, would you take us, this small group of people that are here to serve you, worship you, Father, would you change our lives today, Lord? Would we look a less, like, less like the world today and more like you when we leave here, Father? Thank you, Father. We love you. And Father, may we never take for granted what your son did on the cross. In your holy, precious, honorable name, amen. Okay, so we're going to hop around a lot. I'll show you real quick. A lot of tabs here. A lot of verses we're going to look at. But I'd like you all to start. So we're going to open up to Proverbs 8.13. I'd like you to start there. We're going to look at three verses before we jump in. So Proverbs 8.13. I'm in the NIV 84 if anybody's interested. So, okay. So 8.13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. Says right there that God hates pride. The word hate is not used many times in the Bible. But when it is, whatever follows, I would personally say that's a big deal. So I hate pride and arrogance. Hmm. Probably should look at that today, I would say. So let's look at uh, Proverbs 11.2. Might get a cramp in your finger today, folks, but that's okay. We'll get you through. So, 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So, God hates pride, and when we are prideful, it will bring disgrace. Okay? So, remember that. And then lastly, Proverbs 16.18. Okay, and then last, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. So let me paint the picture to you. God hates pride. Pride will bring us disgrace and destruction. Would you say that's something that we should probably learn more about? Yes? Okay. I don't want to be in a disgraceful or destructive situation. And I definitely don't want to be doing something that God says, you know, it's not that he says I, I dislike that. It's, he says I hate it. He hates arrogance and pride. So why does he hate that? Why is that such a big deal? Well, that's what we're going to try to uncover today uh, and look at so forth. 
So for those of you that are kind of point people, like an outline, I'm going to try to do that with you. We're going to look at five or six points, and then we're going to look at the last piece at the end. So we're going to start with the idea that pride brings self-deception. So the, this, is what, this is what actually what the, uh, uh, I went on and Googled the vocabulary word for de- the, the, the definition, and this is what came up. The action or practice of allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalidated feeling, idea, or situation is true. The action or practice of allowing oneself to believe that a false or unvalid feeling or situation is true. So here's what it says in Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Well, we know the verse goes on, the passage goes on to say that God understands our heart. But one of the things that we have to realize coming here, folks, is we have a deceitful heart. So let me give you an example. So if your car, your speedometer was wrong, so you're driving down the road, you think you're going 55, but in reality you're going 75 and you keep getting tickets, okay? You would eventually be like, man, I got to fix the speedometer, right? Well, it's similar with our heart. We're driving down the road thinking we're doing things well, and we realize real quick that our speedometer is broken. See, our heart is deceitful. We let our heart lead us at times, and it leads us into really, really tough situations. So that idea of a deceitful heart can lead us into destruction. A prideful, deceitful heart can lead us into destruction. So let me show you one other passage, and I'd like you all to turn to James 1. And for those of you, that is the New Testament back towards the end, a little bit before 1 John and so forth. James, one of my favorite books of the Bible, very convicting book of the Bible. Um, a lot of things in here I read and I go, oh, man, I struggle in that area. So let me, let me read 13 to 15 for you. So this is what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. Listen specifically to verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire he has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Not a fun passage, right? Evil desires, folks. See, I tell you right now, there is somebody that's walked in this door, and I mean this lovingly, I used to think the same thing, that thinks, oh, I'm a good person. My heart's not deceitful. You know, I mean, I do better than Joe down the street, right? See, our bar is not each other, folks. It's the, our bar, and I know I've used this phrase before, our bar is Jesus Christ. It's not whether Joe down the street, well, he's, he's an adulterous murderer. I've never done that. I must be a good person. That's not the way it works, folks. God tells us our heart 
can be deceitful and that at times our desires are evil. See, my, my prideful desires are in my marriage. I want Michelle to love me the way I want to be loved. I want my kids to listen to me. I, want, I am the king of the house. I sit in my big green chair. Everybody should wait on me. Right? I'm somewhat exaggerating because that would never happen in my house. But, but we have this evil desire inside of us, folks. This prideful desire that says, I'm better than all of you. Now, hear me out. I would tell you, I think Frank would tell you the same thing. Mark, any pastor you know that's ever preached. Patrick, there's a part of us that we get up here and it's like, you know what? I got this. I got it all together. I understand how the Bible works. Blah, 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 blah. Pridefulness, folks. That is a complete and utter lie. I am just as broken. I am just as sinful. I am just as prideful, maybe more. Michelle probably tell you more than anybody else in here, okay? The only reason I'm up here is because the Lord decided to beat me up for two months as I prepared for this sermon, okay? Don't ever think the man that stands on this stage is any better than any of you all because that is not the case. We struggle with the same stuff. I have the same evil desires. I am quickly taken away by deceitfulness, by deception of thinking I'm great or something or so forth. Okay? That's why you need to pray for us, folks. Because the problem is with us, I'm standing under the limelight right now. Right? We need your prayers, folks. We struggle with the same things you do. We struggle at times with self-deception. And just like we want you to pray for us. We pray for you. Because we know at times it can be a battle. It really can be. Humbleness, folks. That's what we're going to end with. It is humbleness. It is humility. It is really understanding who God is and who you are. Because if you get that, there ain't no reason to be prideful anymore. Okay? Now, next one. self confidence so one of the problems is at times we think we're better than each other well that person's sin that's not my sin that person's sin oh they're horrible my sin eh, it's just a little sin right that sometimes happens or well i go to church i give my 10 percent every sunday i don't see them put anything in the collection plate we start to elevate ourselves over other. Dr. Uh, Egrich, who did Love and Respect, said, and I think this is pretty funny, especially funny for my size, as men, we can look in the mirror and we see Adonis. We sometimes think that we're much better than we are. And ladies, the problem, the opposite is, you all look in the mirror and see somebody who's horrible. See, at times... Our self-confidence is different, okay? Self-confidence can best be seen in 2 Chronicles 26. So let's pull there real quick. Talking to Frank earlier, what's neat is we're going to study this same king later down the road. So 
Second Chronicles 26. Uh, this is King uh, Uzziah or Uzziah. Uh, I'm a Carroll County graduate, so you know I might say it a little wrong at times. Um, so let me point out a couple things. So here's a situation where King Uzziah, 16 years old, it says in verse 4, he did what was right in the Lord. Now listen, listen to what happens here with this guy. It's very interesting. Because if you don't think it can happen to you, it absolutely can. I mean this lovingly, and I said to, I said to Frank, I feel like I should have a mirror here, so I was preaching to myself at times. You are not as good as you think you are. But what's awesome is, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, and that's the greatest thing you could be called today. But we're going to talk about that at the end too. So, it says, King Uzziah, he did what was right in God's eyes. He sought God during the days of Zechariah. And his, listen to what it says here in verse, uh, end of verse 5. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So the rest of the story here, before we get to the end part, he does multiple things. He builds up a great army. He builds a, a fort, fortress. He builds towers. Total number of family leaders over fighting men was 2,600. Under the command of his army, over 300,000 people. All things God did. Now, let me show you what happens here at the end. So let's go to verse 15. Here's what it says at the end. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. It's a key right there, folks. He was greatly helped until he became powerful. I would tell you right now that any self-confidence I have, it's because of other brothers and sisters who have poured into me over the years, God's Word, prayer, so forth. It ain't just about me up here. It's people around me that have helped me. The professors I had in seminary, whatever, whatever you want to say. So if I ever get so self-confident to think that I arrived here by myself, you can come up and call me a, a big fat liar. Okay? And then here's what it said in verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Then in verse 17, 80 other courageous priests of the Lord follow him in and they confronted him. They called him out and said, hey brother, you're messing up. You're making this about you. So what did the Lord do to him at the end? Anybody know? Not fun. Hey Uzziah, enjoy your leprosy. How's that going to go for you? Uzziah gets leprosy and he has that till the day's uh, until he dies. Folks, we are not nearly as good as we are, and in God's eyes, we're not nearly as bad as we think we are, if that makes any sense. See, in the world's eyes, we tend to have self-confidence in things that are worldly. I have a nice car. Actually, I don't. I have a 2004 Honda CRV, 272,000 miles. But, a lot of us at times put our uh, our pride and our um, belief system in things we have. Our house. We have a nice house. We have a nice car. My kids are doing well in sports. They're doing well in school. 
It must be me. I'm a great parent. I'm a great husband. Horrible self-confidence, folks. It is about what God is doing in and through you. See, we gain a little fame, and then God blesses us. And we start to get our chest pumped out. Like all of a sudden, we're doing something amazing. And that's just not the case. So the other problem is, before I move on, I want to hit you with this. A lot of times, God puts us in situations. You know what? I only speak for myself because I'm probably the only one that's ever done this. God, that makes no sense. I have a much better plan. Right? Well, here's what J. Vernon McGee said about that. This is God's universe, and God does things His way. Now, you may have a better way, but folks, you don't have a universe. God is in control, folks. It is His plan, and at times, we may not really care for the track He has us on, but He's got a plan. His ways are better than ours. Put that self-confidence aside and put that confidence in him. So next one, let's look at self-righteous. This problem has plagued the church forever. We at times think that because we are in this church, at times we're doing it better than other churches. I think at times we think that we're better than people on the outside of this church. Some would say... At times, we could be pharisaical, right? Not a word that we like associating with each other. So why do we do this? Why do we view ourselves as better than others? So what I'd like to do is let's look at Luke 18. And I'm actually going to read this passage for you from Luke 18. So Jesus teaches us through this parable, the parable of the prophecy and the tax collector. And we're going to start in verse 9. This is what it says. Luke 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody, this is what Jesus told in his parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Now listen, folks, really important how this tax collector responds. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Exalted, sorry. So what happened here? The Pharisee thought he had it all together. Think about, think, about how, think about praying that way to God. Hey, God, you know what? Thanks for not making me like Randy Gallagher. Actually, that's a common prayer of mine, by the way. 
because you're getting ready to uh, pay two weddings there. Thank God I'm not Randy Gallagher. Um, <laughs> congratulations. But, but think, think about the heart of that Pharisee. See, folks, it's a heart issue. It's a deceitful, evil desire heart issue. Hey, God, thanks for not making me like him. I do this for you. I do that for you. I give the right amount of money at church. And look at the heart of the other person. I mean, I could almost see that person almost being like, thank you, Lord. Think about the heart of that person, the tax collector. Okay? That's the way we are to come. So in Luke 22, and and you don't have to turn there, what happens in Luke 22? Uh, Lord's final supper. And what happens after he, they do the bread, they do the wine, and what do those 12 knuckleheads start to do? Who's better? Am I better? Think about that. And what's funny is, it's easy to stand up here and go, man, I would never act like that. I act like that all the time. God, you know I'm the better pastor here. Frank and Mark, they're nothing. Right? I'm being somewhat jokingly, but at times we do that. Because we all know. I mean, it goes without saying. I told Frank, I said, I'm not going to tell any jokes. It's pretty hard not to. Um, it's just in my nature. Okay? But think about it. It's so easy for us to look back and go, those 12 knuckleheads, they acted like kids. I'm telling you right now, me and 11 other guys in the room will get in that room. I guarantee you will act the same way. Jesus, which one do you love more? You love me more. I'm nicer. Right? We have an issue, folks. And I mean it from the bottom of my heart. It can only be fixed by Jesus Christ. Because we tend to want to do this on our own because we put self-confidence in ourselves. It can only be done through Jesus Christ. Now, next one. Self-sufficiency. So I pulled this one up on Google. The great Google. Google's behind the curtain. Anyway, um, this is what it said. Needing no outside help and satisfying one's basic needs. Simple. Needing no outside help and satisfying one's basic needs. Well, that's not just fine and dandy. Think about it. What is God providing for you right now? Ready? The air you breathe. He's holding you together. He's keeping the blood inside of you pumping through your heart. He's providing so many... I mean, I'm serious. We could go on and on. He's providing so many things. I I know you think an electrician made all this electric happen, but somehow in God's amazing way... He's in control of all this. And it's just, it's, it's beyond what we can handle. So needing no outside help in satisfying one's needs. See, folks, you are not, for, and you are not God. We need God and we need others. At times, folks, in life, especially I can only speak for the men here, I know as men at times, especially when things go bad, 
there's a sense of like, well, I can handle this. I'm going to man up. I'm not going to reach out to another man or I'm not going to reach out for help. Self-sufficiency, folks. We struggle daily. And I want you to think about this. When you leave here, I would love it if just for a day, everything you did, you thought about how has God have his hand right here at this time? So, for instance, if you're driving a car, God created all those people that put that car together. He created the people that developed rubber. That I mean, I don't know anything about engines, but you know, that made all those parts. I mean, he developed all those people. And in his way, I know it's hard to believe, he's probably moving traffic around. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, he is completely in control. Not self-sufficiency. It's really a big problem for all of us. I would also say there's probably somebody in this room right now that probably doesn't know the Lord. I, I could be wrong, but I don't believe that everybody in here is a believer. You're probably sitting here, you know what, I don't need God. Life's going well, so forth. Well, folks, I mean this. There will be a time that you will come face to face with God and he'll have some questions for you. There is only one way to God and that's through the, through the Son. Andy said it earlier. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Jesus has done for us at the end. Self-sufficiency, folks, it's a struggle for believers and unbelievers. Now, all of these selves we've talked about, they lead to one thing, which is what we see in the, fine, the last two Proverbs we looked at, which is 11.2 and 16.18. And that is this, self-destruction. Who here has, just asking, who here has brought themselves to some type of self-destruction over their lives? Yeah? It's hard. It's hard when, again, we're led by a deceitful heart, our own evil desires. We think we're self-sufficient. Now, listen to, listen to what I'm building. We think we're better than we are. I don't need other people. Think about that game plan. That is going to drive you to self-destruction. Look at just the leaders of the country. I, and I'm not talking Republican, Democrat, liberal. I'm just, just talking in general. Look at the leaders of this country. Look at the self-destruction they've had in their lives. The really, really great military leaders in our time, if you read any of their books, like if you ever read Pal's book, um, anybody ever read uh, Citizen Soldier, that kind of stuff, and you'd look. Great leaders have all said they've gotten there because of other people, that they're the same as the rest and so forth. Because they know that eventually, if they think they're doing it on their own and so forth, there is self-destruction in their way. And the last piece I want to talk about about self-destruction, so don't kill me for saying this. I'm going to probably be way too honest with you here. I used to say to Michelle all the time, please don't hate me. You know what? I hate stupid people. 
What a dumb thing to say. But what I learned was being a, I don't know, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm a director of training at a large company. I teach people how to sell and so forth. But anyway, that's what I do during the day. But what I really learned, about, what I learned, because it's, again, it's a horrible phrase. Again, I know, probably be somewhere on Facebook today. Bill Brown hates stupid people. Um, it'd be tweeting all over the country. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But what I learned was it's not that I hate stupid people, because I don't hate stupid people. What I hate is unteachable people. That's the part that's hard. And it's I don't hate them. But what I have learned in my own, again, looking at myself here, two months working on pride, not been a fun journey. One of the biggest things that can bring us to destruction is you put all those things together, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, all of it, and then you become unteachable. Folks, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. You are on a road to destruction. Absolute destruction. Okay? But there is a way out, and that's where we're going to end with this. Folks, we need to have humility through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If pride is the biggest sin which leads to all other sins then we must view humility as one of the most essential things that characterizes true Christianity. Now I'm going to read a little bit of this. I apologize because I don't have it memorized as well. But I want you to take some major points with you on this. Our perspective on humility can be radically changed if we ponder and meditate on the great example of humility in history, and that is Jesus Christ. So this is the passage I want to end on. We're going to be done in five minutes, I promise. I don't want to go too much farther. So turn to Philippians 2. And just on a side note, this is the passage that when I do weddings, this is the passage I do. Because I believe wholeheartedly this is the greatest visual of how we are to be with each other in relationships, in our marriage, and so forth. So, I'm going to read it. Just follow along, and we're going to pull out a couple little points that we're going to call it a day. Okay? Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, And folks, here's the key verse right here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And then this is what we're called to do. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Folks, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He considered himself better than himself. See, I believe Paul is encouraging ordinary believers then, just like he's encouraging us now. He knew that we were going to struggle with pride. He knew we were going to struggle with self-confidence, self-assurance, self-sufficiency, all these selves. So how do we gain the mind of Christ and humble ourselves? We need, to, we need to make a firm decision to think, understand, and adopt Jesus' way of thinking. His values, attitudes must become ours. His strong emphasis on humility and example of it must take hold of our thinking, our desires, and how we act towards others. We must remove self from our vocabulary. So think about this. So instead of self-centered, Jesus-centered. Instead of self-important, Jesus-important. Instead of self-serving, Jesus-serving and more. See, folks, this is what's important to understand. You are not your own. You are here for a reason. You are God, which means, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are His child. You are His workman, workmanship, sorry, His creation. You have been saved by grace. We have new mercies from God all the time. We are gifted from God. Anything that you're gifted with, anything you're great at, He gave it to you. Don't think, I'm just going to, I'm going to quote Terrell, Terrell Owens, me love me so me. That ain't the truth, folks. Whether he believes it or not, he was given those gifts by God, okay? We are gifted by God. He sustains us, and again, we are called his children. At the end of the day, the problem is we need to have a right view of God and ourselves and when we do that, it will have a profound effect on us and our relationships. By doing that, true humility is our great friend. It, it increases our hunger for God's Word. It opens our heart up to the Holy Spirit. It leads to intimacy with God. Je with Jesus and humility, you will see broken relationships healed. You will see anxiousness and worry melt away. And you will see... Praise the Lord, His name lifted on high. If I were to bring all four of my kids up, they would tell you, I tell them this all the time, why are we here, folks? It's for His glory. It ain't for me to get my name on a plaque somewhere in some hall of fame. It's for His glory. So here's my last, my last thought to you all. Humility is not a, is not a grace that can be acquired in a few months. It's the work of a lifetime. It starts leaving here and doing something different. And over time, the Holy Spirit's work in your life, the help of brothers and sisters around you and so forth, you can overcome the things you're dealing with. So I'm going to tell you a quick story about my dad, and I'm going to leave you with a couple questions to leave here with and think about. So my dad had a group called the 1st Maryland Regiment, they were about 250 to 300 people uh, that we, they did Revolutionary War encampments and things like that. Well, 
one of the places that they used to do it at was Fort Frederick. I have a fond, fond, amazing memories of Fort Frederick as a kid. Well, right around the corner from Fort Frederick was a place called Big Pool, and it was this group of about 10 or 12 ladies that would do home-style cooking, and they would feed us at the end of these events that we would do. 250, 300 guys with their wives and kids coming through. Just chokes me up to say this. I loved my dad so much. He was such a humble man. I remember when I was about eight or nine years old, I haven't told this story in a while. Everybody's going through the line. And I said to dad, I go, dad, when are you going to go through the line? He goes, when everybody else is fed. Folks, that's the way we're supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying my dad was, <laughs> if he were here today, he would tell you he was just as much a sinner as the rest of you. But there was a humbleness about him. And I thought that was a beautiful picture. And he said, he said, William, as a leader, you wait till all your people are fed. You wait till their needs are provided. And then you go through. And I said, but dad, there could be scraps or whatever. He goes, so what? That's humbleness, folks. So here's what I want you to think about. When you leave here today, do people know you as a servant? And do you take the humble route? Do you let others go before you in line? I know now we're all going to be at the picnic on the 26th and everybody's going to be staying there and Frank's going to go, forget what Bill Brown said, somebody's got to get a hot dog. If we had a camera in your car when you're driving around the beltway, would we know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you serve for honor and pats on the back? Or are you serving for a God and His people? Do you want man to lift you up or God to lift you up? Do you wait in line to help others? Think about it. Do you wait in line to help others? If you want to look like a servant, if we want to look like a servant-driven church, we must ask ourselves these questions. Is UBC about us and what we get or is it about God, His glory, and His people who are around this church who need Jesus and the hope that can only be found in Him. No more self, folks. You are, not, you, are, you are not your own. You're a child of God. We need to be servants of the Most High God. Thanks for listening to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You, Lord, for today. <sighs> Father, I thank You for not crushing me. Throughout this journey of reading about pride, Lord, I just realized more and more where pride has crept into my life, Lord. And I'm sure some people here are thinking the exact same thing, Father. Father, would you do a miraculous work in them today, Lord? Would you begin to just grab a hold of them and help them change their hearts, Lord? Father, may we be a church that is not about having our picture in the paper uh, raising money, what, whatever it is, Father, may we be a church with two goals. Number one, everything for your glory, for your name to be lifted high, so that if we get interviewed about how great we are, we can immediately say, it's because of Jesus Christ. And Father, would you use us to help a great group of people that are in and around this church that are hurting, Father. Father, may we humble ourselves and be the servant you have called us to be, Lord. In your holy, precious name, 
Amen.